Welcome to THN on the O. As always, I'm your host, Tony Ferrari, joined by Brock Otten, who is currently in Nashville, a place I will be shortly. Yeah. Hey, Tony. How are you, man? Not too bad. How was the flight and everything? Oh, it was good. It was good. Uh, yeah, no complaints. It's hot here. Real hot. Yeah, you were just telling us how you, you've been sweating buckets as you walk around Nashville in the 95-degree weather, I think it was, when I looked at the weather there. So uh, enjoying the weather, Brock. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's better than rain. I'll take the heat. I love the heat. Just just got a little sweaty on the walk to the arena. That's all. All right. Well, you're in Nashville for the NHL draft. I will be there shortly myself. Let's get to some draft talk. It's going to be a fun year for the OHL because it, we may not have the top end guys like we thought we would at the start of the year, but we have a lot of guys that could go. It's going to be a, a, a deep OHL draft, I think. So let's start with this. Who's going to be your top OHL drafted player? I still think it's going to be Colby Barlow. I still think that there's a chance that he kind of sneaks into the top 10, top 13. Um, I do feel pretty strongly that he's going to be the first OHL player off the board. I, I mean, maybe somebody falls in love with Quentin Musty and and he ends up going maybe higher than than I'm projecting him. But I, I think it'll be Barlow. Yeah, I'm with you there. I have Musty as my top OHL draft eligible. But I do think Barlow is going to be the guy. He's just... He's an NHL player, and I think that's the thing that so many teams look for in the first round. It's hard to pass up a guy that you kind of look at and go, there's basically no chance he's not going to play in the NHL and be a pretty solid middle six option at bare minimum. So I think Barlow probably is the first guy off the board. Who do you think is going to be the guy that goes surprisingly high, though? Uh, The name I'll throw you is Easton Cowan. I think that he's somebody that has gained – a ton of momentum heading into the draft based on his OHL playoffs and his um, really strong second half overall, where he kind of, I'm not going to use the word leapfrogged as a leapfrog Denver Barkey as sort of the offensive leader of that line. But I think he became a lot more of an efficient play driver and, and less of just a complimentary piece. And uh, sort of what I've heard is that he's somebody that could go a lot higher than a lot of, amateur public lists have him currently wouldn't shock yeah. me at all if he if he kind of sneaks into the even the the like 30 to 40 range uh it wouldn't shock me at all yeah i, I was gonna say that playoffs that he had really kind of boosted his stock i thought he was really good there the guy i'll give you is nick lertis i think everyone kind of deems him as a, a late second early third round guy i have a sneaky feeling that this guy's gonna sneak into the first round tail end of it maybe it's at 31 32 something like that but He's a sneaky choice for the first round, and I know there's a lot of conversation because of the shooting ability that he has. I think he, he plays with speed, and he's got a great shot, and I think those two traits are really things that NHL teams look for. Do I think it it's going to happen for sure? Obviously not, but there's a sneaky suspicion I've had since the start end of the year after talking to some people that Nick Lardis is pretty high up on some boards, and it won't shock me to see him go too high. Who's the player do you think that falls, though, on the other hand? Uh, I think the easy answer is Cam Allen. I, I think that teams are going to look at some of those tools and and wonder, you know, whether he's able to get the most out of them in, in the future, just based off of his performance this year. I could see him falling out of like the top 75 range. But I, I think the answer I'm going to give you is sort of the opposite of what you just said. And I think Nick Lardis could be the guy that falls. I think we saw that with, Jordan Cairo a few years ago, I've compared Lardis to him a, f- a few times. And I think that NHL teams are a little bit worried of about Lardis's profile as more of like a north-south guy, given his lack of size. 
And I think maybe there's a chance that his combine performance and how good it was goes against him a little bit because I think maybe teams are like, whoa, like we were kind of anticipating this guy was still had a lot to to fill out, that there was a lot of room for him to improve on his strength and other areas given some of those inconsistencies and his ability to sort of find his way to the middle and his ability to work through traffic. And I think the fact that he's already so strong maybe makes teams wonder, okay, like how much more room for improvement is there now that he's already such a well-conditioned athlete? So it's obviously on more fundamental things that that need to improve and and, um, the way that he plays needs to improve in order for that projection to improve. So I I could see him honestly falling into that like late second round range. Do I agree with it? No, you and I both are are big Nick Lardis fans. Uh, I really think that there's a place in the NHL for the the type of skill set that he has, but I could see NHL teams sort of being a little bit hesitant there. Yeah. The guy I'm going to give you, in I don't know how much of a fall this exactly would be is Colby Barlow. I think we we've all talked about him being a guy that could go in that top 10, could go in that top 13 and it would make a lot of sense. I wouldn't be shocked if we don't see a, an OHL or drafted until pick 21, 22 and then we see a run on them to kind of finish out the first round. I, I it won't shock me to see like four guys go and I know we'll talk about how many OHLers are taken in the first round. It wouldn't shock me to see four four OHLers go at the end of the first round, but none of them take until pick 22. And and I think that's just kind of a, a testament to this year's OHL draft class where there's still a lot of mystery. This is kind of, I don't want to say it's the last draft class that's really, really affected by that COVID year where they didn't play a full season, basically. But this is a, a group that's been affected by that in, in a pretty big way during some pretty big development years for them and coming into the OHL. So it's going to be interesting, but I, I do think Colby Barlow, Quinton, Musty, Cal Ritchie, I guess you could group all three of them in there are the ones that I would say would fall. And again, how, how big of a fall is it from 10 to 15 to 20 to 25? That's kind of a, the question of, a, of how big a fall is it? But I just mentioned it. How many OHLers are going in the first round? Yeah, I agree with the answer that you gave, Tony. I'm going to go with four. I, I think it's Barlow, it's Richie, it's Musty, and I think it's Oliver Bonk. Uh, I think he kind of sneaks his way into into the first round, the back part of it there, maybe even higher. He could be a guy that kind of shocks us going in that like 15 to 20 range. Uh, who knows, right, how, how much an NHL team is going to value the potential he has to be an impact defensive player. So those are the four guys that I I think will end up being first rounders. I think we'll have quite a few that go in that sort of top 50 range, but for first rounders, I'm going to go four. I agree with you. Yeah. Four is my number. I think it's going to be the, the three fours that we've talked about all year long, Richie, Musty, Bonk, or Richie, Musty, Barlow. And and then you're going to have Bonk sneak in, or you're going to have Lardis sneak in, or, or who knows, maybe someone falls really in love with Easton Cowan or, 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 or a Boaki, right? Like they, they, these are guys that, could sneak in at picks 31, 32. And while we might go, ah, it's maybe a little bit high, it, it could make sense if you are if you argue it correctly. So let's move on to some over-unders, though. We've got a bunch of OHLers that are going to be drafted this year. We've talked about a bunch of them already. Over-under, how high is Colby Barlow going to go? And you have the over-under set at 15.5. Yeah, I said it at that because I believe that is the actual betting line on Colby mm-hmm. Barlow currently. Not every not everybody has a betting line for the initial draft. It's this isn't the NFL draft uh, <laughs> where 
you know, Vegas is heavily invested. Uh, but there are some betting lines sponsored by the wonderful bet MGM. Uh, <laughs> so Barlow's is at currently 15 and a half. Uh, I'm going to take the under on that. I do think that he's somebody who goes in that like 9 to 13 or 14 range. Uh, I'd be shocked. I, I know you mentioned it. And I see your logic behind it. I, I do. It's 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 a very deep forward group. We could see a run on centers, specifically guys like Danielson, guys like David Edstrom, um, those types of guys. We could see a definite run on, which pushes Barlow as a winger down a little bit. Um, but I do think somebody's going to fall in love with that well-rounded profile. Uh, I think Barlow is a guy that could sneakily play in the NHL next year. I, I really believe that too. I think he can probably sneak into a, a third line right away, or at the very least, maybe one more year in the OHL with a strong Owen Sound team, um, and then move on to the NHL. But uh, very mature, pro-ready game. I, I just can't see teams passing on him outside of the top 15. Yeah, I think uh, there's a it's for sure going to happen that he goes top 15 if Ottawa somehow trades into the top 15 because this seems like a guy that is an Ottawa Senator type draft pick as it is. But even without that, I th- I think I'm going the over because, uh, like I said, I-, I won't be shocked to see them slide into the 20s, all the OHLers. But I-, I-, I don't know why, but all year long I've gone Barlow sits at 16, 17, 18 for me. So when I saw this 15.5 line, I'm like, ooh, that's right on the edge of where I where I kind of see him going. So I'll take the over, but I do, I, I do only think it's a slight over. You should get in on that action, though. I think the last time I looked, it was like plus 200 for him uh, on the over there. So that's not bad, Tony. Yeah, I might uh, I might have to hop on BetMGM later and uh, place a couple of $2 bets because uh, Tony doesn't uh, make a ton of money, so he's... <laughs> Not betting a big number. Uh, let's move on to Cal Ritchie, though. You have the number set at 25 and a half. I'm going to say he's going to go under that. I, I think he goes in that 20, 20 to 25 range. I, I think he's got so many skills. He's so smart. And I think teams are going to read into the fact that he played this entire season with a, a shoulder injury, basically. It popped out three times on him. He just had surgery to kind of get it all cleaned up. And when I talked to him, he said that, yeah, it's going to be ready for next season. Shouldn't have any issues going forward. The big issue was that once it happened one time this year, unless he went and got surgery midseason, it was going to keep happening. And he chose to try to play through it and rehab it and everything. And it ha- kept happening. And he kept having to deal with it. We saw how good he looked at the World Under 18s when he played with highly skilled players. Now going into Oshawa next year, as that team starts to grow, starts to develop, and he's the guy there, I think that's kind of going to be where you see a, a big pop for him. So I'm going to say under, but I do only think it's a slight under. Where do you have him? I'm going to take the over. I think teams are going to be a little bit concerned about those shoulder injuries. I know we've seen players who've had a recurring shoulder injury. And yes, you have to factor in the fact that he wasn't able to get surgery or that he wanted to push off the the surgery on it. But at the same time, the teams are going to be concerned given the investment here. Um, I think Teams are going to be uncertain, too, uh, as to whether he's a center or, or a wing long term. Uh, he's he's played both internationally this year, uh, mostly center for the generals. And I do think he's a center long term, but I know there's concern that he's more of a winger at the pro level. Um, personally, I love Richie. I think he should be drafted higher than 25th. But given the glut of forwards in this range that maybe don't have injury risk, or as much injury risk attached to them. Uh, I think he kind of slides into that like 
27, 28, 29, 30, like really back end of the first round. So if if I were betting, I think it's really close. I probably wouldn't touch this bet because it's that close. But uh, I think, Richie, if I were to say, I would take the over. Now, you mentioned not touching the bet because it's very close. This is one I wouldn't touch because I think the opinions are absolutely all over the place. Quinton Musty, you have the, the betting line set at 19.5. I could make an argument myself for either way. Which way are you going? Yeah, it's a really tough one. Honestly, uh, I, I wouldn't. I don't know. Like, uh, part of me thinks that somebody is going to take Musty quite early. Somebody is going to fall in love with that athletic, big profile um, and believe that his upside is well worth a pick in that sandwich part of of the first round right that like 13 to 18 range or 19 range whereas the other part of me believes teams are going to be concerned about the inconsistent compete level and um, his play away from the puck and just some of the other components of his game which maybe aren't as polished as again some of the other players that are available in this range like a Cal Ritchie right um like a Nate Danielson like an Oliver Moore Right, those types of players have a much more polished, pro-ready game than Musty does. If somebody really forced me, I would take the under because I do think somebody is going to take Musty in the top twenty. Um, but I'm not extremely confident in that in that answer. Yeah, I kind of side on the same fence. Or sit on the same side of the fence as you. I, I'm gonna lean under. I don't. I wouldn't touch this bet if I was betting it on it. But I, I do think someone's gonna fall in love with the, the skill set. I think someone goes. Someone maybe two first round picks. Maybe a Detroit. They get like their guy at nine and Musty sitting there at seventeen. He's a guy that they could take and take the chance on. Get, go for the little bit of that upside. I think that's that's the kind of pick you're looking at here. I think it's there's a chance because you don't often get a, a, a player with a physical tools and physical traits that musty has and the upside the top end of musty's game is so good but like you said the inconsistencies they're they're relevant they're they're obvious and i think uh, nhl teams have voiced concern about that uh both to him probably in interviews and publicly so it, it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes because he is a guy that is going to be worth keeping an eye on but now we move to the guys that are kind of fringe first rounders second rounders Oh, you have the lineup for Oliver Bonks at 32 and a half. So basically, is he a first rounder or is he not a first rounder? Yeah, I feel like we already answered this one. Um, I think Bonk is is a first rounder. I think that honestly, I think he's somebody that could go even higher than you know we believe or or the consensus believes. Uh, I could see Bonk in that top 22, 23 range. So uh, that would be an easy one for me. I think that he's definitely under the 32 and a half. Yeah, Bonk's the perfect example of a guy that maybe I don't value as highly, but I know NHL teams are going to. I think he's going to go in the first round, whether it's at 19, whether it's at 32. I think it's going to happen because this is a guy that NHL teams seem to fall in love with. And when I was talking to an NHL scout recently, he said, at the end of the day, your first round pick is what you make your money on. That's where you can get fired over. You can get you can get hired over in the future. You have to hit with your first round pick. And I think Bonk is a guy that you're going to hit with. You're going to get an NHL player out of. And I think that's why he goes in the first round. 
And I think at the end of the day, I'd take the under for here, him at 32 and a half. And it just makes sense because the style of player he is, he's not going to be the most dynamic offensive player, but he's a surefire defensive guy that will make some, make some noise at the NHL level. I think now Nick Lardis, we talked about him earlier. I talked about him possibly sneaking into the first round. You talked about him slipping to the end of the second round. And conveniently enough, the nine is set at 49 and a half. Really nice. Right in the middle kind of number. Where, where do you see him at? Yeah, I think he's going to ultimately end up right around this number. And that's kind of why I, I set it at that number. Because top 50 is, it's a, it's a milestone, right? To be drafted mm-hmm. inside the top 50. Yes, in the grand scheme of things, it matters nothing. But it is definitely a milestone. Um, I think Lardis probably goes in that or under that range. If I were to make a guess, I'd put him at like 45 to 50. Um, which is just under. So again, kind of like Musty, I wouldn't touch this bet at all. Um, but I have a feeling that you you would. I, I, you seem pretty confident that Lardis will be under that, eh? Oh, no, I would not touch this bet whatsoever <laughs> at, at all. I, I think he should go under. Does he go under? I don't know. Um, I think I lean under here, like you said. I think he goes in that 40 to 50 range. Um do I, I think he could be a sneaky first round pick. Would I bet that he'd be a first round pick? Probably not. That'd be uh throwing away $2 and $2 is a half a cup of coffee, <laughs> but uh, no, I think Nick Lardis is a very good player. He's a guy that NHL teams will flock to because of the shooting talent. But I, I do think he ends up kind of going in that 45 to 50 range that you mentioned. Another player that you have set at 49 and a half is Bo Aiki, a defenseman really kind of intriguing this year because he didn't stand out the way we thought he would. So 49 and a half, I kind of lean over. I think his muted offensive totals that we were expecting to see be a little bit higher weren't quite there. So I think teams are going to wait till the end of the second round, early third round. I can see him being a guy that goes at pick like 71 early in the third round. Then a year from now we go, he probably should have gone a little bit higher than that. Yeah. This one's so tricky because there's so many other guys that have, sort of a similar profile mm-hmm. in this range, right? And what order they go in is anybody's guess. Like we could have easily lumped in uh, Brustavich here. Um, there are other, like Tanner Molendyke, right, uh, out west, um, Etienne Moran uh, from the Q, yeah. uh, a bunch of guys uh, in the USHL, Andrew Strathman, for example, a bunch of European guys. you got Lindstein. Um, obviously, Willander has separated himself from that pack. He's I think he's very clearly a top 20 pick at, at this yeah. point. Um, but you have Lindstein in that range. Um, there are so many guys in this range, so many mobile defenders with tools, uh, essentially, raw tools. What order they go in or where they end up slotting is, is anybody's guess. And I, I, I do think that... Aki maybe goes a little bit higher than some of those guys because I, I think that the defensive upside is really strong because he's got a really good stick in the defensive zone. And I think that he showed really well in terms of being a, a rush defender this year. Uh, I think it's just other components of his game that, that need to step up a little bit. But um, the bare bones are very intriguing. I've, I've compared him to TJ Brody previously, and I, I do think that he could follow a sort of similar career trajectory. And that has a lot of value. And, and I think that teams are going to really look at his skating ability 
which I, I think is maybe better than some of the other guys that I just mentioned, uh, other than maybe Molendyke, who would be right there with Aki as, as one of the better skating defenders in this draft class. So, yeah, I, I think he probably sneaks into that, like, same range as, as I believe Lardis does in that like 40 to 50 range, uh, maybe even just outside the first round. Like he, I could easily see him being one of the first guys taken in the second. Um, so I, I do think I would take the under there. Yeah. It, he's an interesting one. I really, I really like Aki's game. And I like the development that he had this year. I think the big thing was that those offensive totals just weren't where a lot of people expected him to be. So He's going to be a guy to keep an eye on. And so is this next one. This one's really intriguing because Luca Pinelli is a guy that the opinions vary on. I know I was really high on him early in the year, and I've come down on him since then. But he's a very, very intriguing player, a feisty player. You have the line says 64 and a half. This is going to surprise you, but I'm going to take the over. I think he goes in the third round. I think despite the fact that I think he deserves to go in the second round, he's a guy that NHL teams will look at and go, this is a third round pick. And we take him. We hope that feistiness is what helps push him through despite being an undersized forward. And I think there's a lot of upside with his offensive tools. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes because he's an undersized, feisty, scrappy forward who has some offensive tools. Where do you think he ends up? Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I do think that there's going to be some projection issues here. Uh, I could see him going even uh, as late as the fourth round. I think it would be disappointing for sure uh, i think he deserves to go higher than that but uh, i could see nhl teams struggling over you know whether his game actually sort of is transferable to the nhl level given that he does need to improve his skating and that you know he's not the most creative or, or skilled guy on the ice he's he's an undersized high energy guy right and those types are risky to select um and i think that when you look at some of the rankings that have come out that aren't part of the amateur sort of public sphere, more of like the professional, like NHL central scouting, they've been very low on Pinelli all year. And I think that's sort of reflective of, you know, NHL teams maybe not being sort of the highest on Pinelli either. Um, but amazing kid. We had a chance to talk to him last week and, um, you know, regardless of where he gets selected, uh, I think he's he's going to have a chance of being a pro hockey player. Uh, but I, I would take the over here. Yeah, he seems like one of those guys that ends up being an NHL player, taken in the third round, lives in the bottom six for a few years, has some good offensive-ish seasons in the, the NHL, and, and just kind of bounces around the league as an energy guy, plays a lot of different roles. And they look kind of plug and play on different teams. So I think he's going to be an NHL player. I really like Luca Pinelli's game. But like you said, those projection issues are kind of what is going to hold teams back, especially being an undersized winger. It's it's not an easy life to be an undersized winger when you play this kind of game that he plays. But eh, we've seen it happen many a times, especially with the game kind of leaning smaller over the last few years. The next guy you have on the list is Denver Barkey, who's also listed at 64 and a half. And for me, this is maybe the easiest bet of them all. I'm going over, and that's just because, like you said with Pinelli, you look at public lists and his stock has kind of been in that third, fourth round for most of the year. Yeah, I agree with you. I put that one in there just because I, I think it's a fun one to debate, right? Like, uh, I like Barkey. I really do. But I, I do wonder what the NHL upside is. And then you look at, okay, he's he's obviously not the biggest guy on the ice. <laughs> 
Um, and then that's going to push him down. He'd be a great pick in that third or fourth round range, just like Pinelli. And that's sort of where I expect him to go at this point. I'd be shocked. Absolutely shocked. If Easton Cowan doesn't go ahead of Barkey in terms of, you know, the London twins connection there. Um, but, uh, yeah, I agree with you. I think that's, that's an easy one. Um, unfortunately. Now, before we move on to the next couple that we have, you mentioned Easton Cowan there. If I set the line at 71 and a half, would you take the over under? You said you'd go, he'd go ahead of Barkey, but do, do either of them go ahead, ahead of 71? Oh yeah. I would take the under all day. I, if you had set that line at 50, 49 and a half, I would have taken the under. Ooh, I, I think, one. I think that he's either going to be a late first or one of the first guys off the board in a second. I do truly wow. believe that. I think that when you look at his profile as a high energy guy, but one with really good speed and who showed really solid progression sort of on the puck and, and not just off the puck. Uh, and you look at how well the hunters develop players and how much faith there is in that London organization and their ability to create NHL prospects and NHL players. Um, again, I, I when I've chatted with with people this year about Cowan and a, and a few NHL scouts later in the year, um, they all kind of said, like, you know, he's going to go high. You watch. And uh, I think he will. I really do. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that London development system because I was gonna, just going to say, and as we know, every draft seems to have that one guy from London that doesn't produce a ton in his draft year. It has a respectable draft year, but then absolutely explodes after. Is that going to be Barky? Is that going to be Cowan? Who knows? Maybe it's Bonk. It's going to be interesting to see what it is because London's got a trio of guys that are intriguing this year. But let's move on to some bigger, just grand total kind of numbers. Number of OHLers taken in the entire NHL draft, and you have the number set at 35 and a half. Yeah, because last year was 35. So, you know, comparing this group with last year's group, are we going to see more or less players selected? Um, so 35 and a half. I'll let you go first, Tony. What do you think? I'm going to say the over just because I think there's a lot of guys that teams are going to be intrigued by, especially in the later rounds. I think it's it's going to be interesting because you have the eight or nine guys that we talked about here. Now we didn't even talk about Hunter Bristavich. We didn't even talk about Tristan Bertucci, uh, a bunch of different guys that we've talked about throughout the year on the podcast that we didn't even mention. And all of them could be second, third, fourth round guys. And then you have those late round picks, a few guys that we're going to talk about in a few minutes that are going to sneak in there and represent the OHL as well. So I, I think you're going to get around 35. I'm going to go slightly over. I, I could see maybe 38, 39. I'm going to take the under. Uh, when I was making my own personal list this year, I had a really hard time filling out the top 30 with guys that I felt really confident would get drafted. And then you throw in the fact that I really don't think it's a strong group of re-entry or OA guys or whatever you want to call it uh, from the OHL. I think we'll see less of those types drafted out of the O this year too. I think we'll probably see that number come out sort of in like the low thirties, high twenties. Uh, I think it'll be somewhere between like 28 and like 33. If, if I were to really guess, um, uh, yeah, I, I think it'll be under. Yeah, the only reason I went over, because I did originally when I was looking, and I saw this on the sheet earlier, I, I went onto my list and I went to the OHLers and I filtered them and I'm like, yeah, this guy's not going to get drafted and this guy's not going to get drafted. But I said that about a bunch of different guys over the last few years and they end up getting drafted in the fourth or fifth round. And I'm like, why? But then they end up being prospects that get signed and playing the AHL for 10 years. <laughs> 
And uh, they they still get to say they were drafted, though. So I think it's going to be, like I said, right around that 35 number. Uh, I'll lean the over, though, just to just to give it that. Um, draft position for the first OHL re-entry taken. So the first overage are taken. You have it set at 96 and a half. Yeah, so does one get taken in the first three rounds? We, uh, we've seen OHL reentry guys get taken inside the first three rounds. I feel a lot lately. Uh, a lot of CHL guys have sort of fit that bill. Um, I'm going to take the over though. Uh, again, I don't think this is a terrific group of OAs from from the OHL. Um, we do have some very interesting prospects, but I think they're more likely like fifth, sixth, seventh round guys that, that teams are going to kind of take a flyer on and not somebody that teams are really going to be pounding the table for um, like we've seen in, in previous drafts. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it's going to be after 96. I think it'd be right around that top 100, but it's going to be in that fourth round, I think. Um, I'm going to talk about an OA when we get to some players to keep an eye on. But like you said, this isn't really a, a super deep overage draft class. I think a lot of the guys that were like, oh, man, like it was shocking to see player X not get drafted last year. They didn't have great years this year. And it was like, well, maybe teams kind of saw that coming and, and realized, hey, this player didn't need to get taken. And maybe we'll sign him as a free agent in a couple of years. But it, it's going to be interesting because I don't know how many OAs are going to be taken in general from the OHL. So. And I don't see that that surefire high-end guy. Like, there's no Tucker Robertson this year who's going to go in the second round and be a guy that I think teams are really highly valuing. So it, it's certainly going to be interesting. But let's move on to some sleepers for the OHL uh, draft class. Brock, who's the two guys that we should keep our eye on in the mid to late rounds that could be uh, noisemakers from the OHL? Yeah, so one of them actually is, is a re-entry guy that I'm going to talk about. He's a name that... Not a lot of people probably know. Um, and that's Jacob Julian from London. Uh, with my sort of prep work that I do for the NHL network for them for their second day coverage, um, they had actually asked me to supply them with some info on Julian because everything they're hearing is, is suggesting that he's going to be drafted and maybe even higher than people are anticipating. Um, so it wouldn't shock me at all if, you know, it's not DNECO. It, who maybe somebody's going to be talking about in a second. Um, not Dionisio, not Brady Stonehouse, um, but Jacob Julian, who's the first OHL reentry guy drafted. The teams are going to like that profile of size and decent mobility and you know improving skill in a really good London program, right? So there's that allure, like, oh, like – you know, we got this, we saw this guy play in the OHL playoffs and, you know, he was somebody who was able to make an impact with limited ice time. What's he going to do with more ice time? Right. And I do think that uh, he's a name to keep an eye on. That's really, really not getting any uh, NHL draft buzz right now. And the other one I'll give you is Ethan Hay. Um, I think he's somebody that NHL teams are really going to value because of his, again, very mature, solid, solid, two-way potential um he's got good length he's a pretty good skater for the game that he plays can play sort of any role i think that we maybe weren't privy to how good offensively he could be this year playing on a deep flint team he was kind of using that shutdown role and that that's what he was asked to do and that's why he did so well at the ohl coaches poll because he's somebody that 
I think guys like you and I probably undervalue. And I, I think that he's somebody that could sort of sneak into that top 100 range because NHL teams see him as uh, maybe a sort of prototypical bottom six center that they can use in a variety of different ways. Yeah, I, I agree with you on both those guys. I think uh, Ethan Hayes specifically is a guy that should be kind of kept an eye on because like you said, it's a guy that typically is underrated by the public sphere. I think he's he's going to be one of those guys. Like, I, I look back at a Ben Roger who was drafted pr- fairly early and and everyone kind of went, why? What, what happened there? And now you look at him and he's not the greatest NHL draft prospect, but he's a guy that pe- that people are starting to come around on and he's got some future in hockey, it seems. So I think Ethan Hayes is a guy that, could be that surprise name. Obviously not the same player as Ben Roger for many reasons, but um, could be that guy that goes a lot higher than people are expecting him to uh, from the OHL. The two names I'll give you is Rodwin Dinicio, and that's the overy drive talking about. And the, he's the defenseman for the Windsor Spitfires. I think he was hidden a lot in Niagara in his draft year last year. And he's got so much skating ability, so much manipulation with the puck on his stick in the offensive zone. I think it was Mitch Brown from Elite Prospects that posted a thread on his uh, microdata that that kind of really intrigues people. And he was one of the better tracked players ever for for Mitch Brown. But I think there are still holes in his game. Defensively, he can let guys fly by a little bit too often. I, I think when you draft a guy like Dionicio, you go, okay, we saw him in a good environment this year. We saw him take a massive step up. His offensive game really took a step. He looks like he can run a power play if you ask him to. He looks like he can kind of be that puck mover from the back end. Can we help him develop those other areas of his game that are going to need some connecting? It's going to be interesting because he has the tools to do it. It's whether or not he's going to be able to kind of round things out. And and the other guy I'm going to bring up is Andre Molnar, a guy that was a bit highly touted coming over from Slovakia, a guy that has some some good forechecking ability. He's not the greatest most electric skater but north south knows what he's doing gets up the ice fairly quickly and really kind of creates a difference creates by creating havoc and i think that's a very valuable trait to have in the bottom six and he's a guy that i think could be pretty valuable in that sense so he's a guy that i think when he came over the ohl he hurt his draft stock a little bit but that's why he's a guy to keep an eye on for me because whether he goes in the fourth fifth sixth round he could be a pretty decent player that we look back on a year from now going Ah, like he he profiled better when he was in overseas, and then when he came over here, he wasn't quite as good. Maybe it was just an adjustment period that he never really got. Yeah, Molnar's a really interesting t- one too because of the situation that sort of forced him to to come to Erie, right? With that floorball incident that I'm sure he got a million questions about from NHL teams leading up to the draft, right? So. Um, you know, maybe he doesn't get drafted. Maybe he does. He's somebody to watch as. Hopefully, uh, I'm assuming he returns to Erie and is a big part of that rebuilding team there. And uh, he's definitely skilled, definitely somebody who was ranked higher coming into the year based on that high-end skill. And I don't know if we necessarily saw it in Erie, but Erie was a tough place to play this year, especially later in the year when they really, really struggled down the stretch uh, in a tough conference. So, yeah, that's a really, really good one for for people to look out for. So let me ask you this. um, Does Ben Goudreau? Does he go uh, as somebody whose rights were rescinded and he's back in the draft? He's an interesting one because I think if he doesn't get drafted, he's going to get signed. I think that's pretty much, I don't want to say guarantee, but I think that's pretty safe to say. Um, where he gets drafted as a goalie at, at his age, as a 20-year-old, 20 20 basically, it, it, it's it's up there. I think it's... I think he was un- unfortunately a-, a victim of a numbers game in San Jose. So 
I think he does get drafted. I want to say the sixth round. I think he's going to go later than than what he would like to. Obviously, he'd like to go as high as possible, but I, I do think he ends up going. Do you think he ends up going in the draft? Yeah, I do too, and, and I'll tell you why. I think that if a team is interested in him, they're going to draft him in the sixth or seventh round um, because it delays them having to sign him to an ELC, um, and he can go back to the OHL as an overager next year. And they can kind of get a read on, you know, whether his game is improving or not before they have to commit a contract to him, right? Um, obviously, he could go completely unselected and then not sign at all, and teams could just wait it out and then see how he plays as an OA next year. Um, but then you're competing. If, if he does have a good year and you do believe yeah. in, in him as a goaltending prospect, you're, you're going to draft him and you're going to see what happens. And if it doesn't pan out, then, you know, a sixth or seventh rounder, those don't get signed almost every year, right? I, I would say the, the vast majority of them do not. And it's no sweat off your back as an NHL team, right? Um, and then, you know, maybe there's some control there too. You can kind of guide where he ends up playing because I'm assuming yeah. Sarnia will try to rebuild and recoup some of the assets that they lost in, in trying to make that that deep run in this past OHL playoffs. So they could deal him to uh, somebody who intends to be uh, – a really good OHL championship contender this year, maybe somebody like a, like a Saginaw, right? If if they don't believe in, in Andrew Oak uh, being the answer there, they could they could go with a guy like Goudreau as an OA. Uh, that's just one name off the top of my head, but I I think that's why an NHL team might might draft him late because it gives them just that little bit extra control. Yeah, and ha- having that little bit extra control is nice because you get to be able to get stay in contact with him. You get to talk to him and see how he's doing developmentally and you get a gauge for where he's at during the season. And like you said, that kind of, I don't want to say saying where he goes, but influencing where he's going to go in in a trade kind of helps as well. So it'll be interesting. Brock, I hope to see you soon, buddy. I'll be in Nashville shortly. Uh, Enjoy your night tonight. Don't uh, get up to too much fun. But with that said, we're going to cap off this episode of TH on the O. We will see you next week to recap all the fun that happened at the draft. Uh, make sure to like, rate, subscribe, review wherever you're listening to the podcast, whether on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to your podcast. We always appreciate the feedback. So hit us up on Twitter at the Hockey News or at the Tony Fry for myself or at Brock Otten for him. And we will see you next week for hopefully a wonderful draft recap where we're absolutely shocked by Hunter Brustevich going 15th overall and being completely blown out of the water by five OHLers going in the first round. Uh, until then, have a good week.